Welcome to Improbable Walks, a podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris wherever you are. My name is Lisa Passold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the city of light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your time and ears. And if you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassel.com, for previous streets and more information. You can also support this podcast by donating the price of a coffee to the series by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lisapassold. So let's step into history together. Today, we're walking along the Rue Vivienne, starting at the back of the gardens of the Palais Royal. If you're interested in the Palais Royal, you might check out episode two in the first season of this Improbable Walks podcast, which features the writer Colette and the phenomenal composer and swordsman, the Chevalier Saint-Georges. But today, we're walking north, away from the pillars and roses of the Palais. We're standing on the right bank in the second arrondissement. As we step up from the Palais Royal, there are some low stairs to join the old garden arcades with the Rue Vivienne. We can hear some traffic noise because the cross street just ahead, Rue des Petits Champs, is quite busy. But overall, the Rue Vivienne is very calm for central Paris. The street is named for the family that owned the property back in the 1500s, and the actual trace of the Rue Vivienne probably dates back to the Romans. Today, the small street doesn't look very impressive because it isn't very wide, so it's difficult to take in the more interesting architecture. There's a mishmash of building styles, some housemen, some older, some newer. The Rue Vivienne starts straight up from the Palais Royal and runs past the former stock exchange of Paris. Then it keeps going and ends at the Grand Boulevard. So while the street is no kind of boulevard, Vivienne has been a central address and useful route for centuries. As we cross the Rue des Petits Champs, the elegant archways of the Galerie Vivienne might tempt you out of the rain if it's a grey day here in Paris. These arcade galleries or passageways were designed as early 19th century shopping malls, protecting Parisians from the rain and mud. This one was built in 1823, and the shopping arcade has beautiful, well-trodden mosaic floors inspired by the then newly discovered Pompeii. The walls are a fabulous faux, faux marble. If that isn't distraction enough, you'll also spot the famous sign for the Grand Colbert, a restaurant that you've seen in movies like Something's Gotta Give. But stay focused on the Rue Vivienne itself. Right now, the sidewalk on the left is slightly disrupted by the ongoing renovations of the Richelieu Library, the old main building of the Bibliothèque Nationale. The amazing collection of the National Library of France is getting new exhibition rooms here. 
And when they finally reopen, construction has hit some snags, so the opening date is delayed. I have great expectations because the old Richelieu Library building is gorgeous and deserves a freshly polished 21st century close-up. The library began as the personal book collection of King Charles V in 1368. This particular building and the real founding of the Bibliothèque Nationale came into being in 1666 under Minister Colbert, who wanted a formal library to the glory of King Louis XIV. These first two blocks of the Rue Vivienne once had several illustrious inhabitants. The original buildings might be gone, apart from this library, but it's worth noticing several plaques dedicated to some of the more memorable people who used to live and work on this street. First of all, attached to the wall of the Bibliothèque, at the corner of the Rue Colbert, there's a plaque dedicated to an inventor. Édouard Léon Scott de Martinville was born in 1817. He lived in the now-demolished building near here. A printer, he ran a bookshop, worked on typography, and most interestingly, he invented the phonautograph, which was a machine that recorded sound. Scott de Martinville invented this machine a full 17 years before Edison invented the phonograph. This means that one of the earliest ever recorded human sounds in the world is Scott de Martinville singing Au clair de la lune, recorded on April 9th, 1860. Please check out my website if you want to listen to his recording. It's very difficult to hear, but if you listen carefully, I find the scratchy sound incredibly moving. Scott de Martinville knew he had made the recording. He knew the sound was there, preserved, but he couldn't figure out the technology to play it back. He died in 1879, still having not solved this problem. But the phonautograph, much, much later, proved to be workable. In fact, just recently, technicians managed to make the sound play back, and that's why you can hear it today. Scott de Martinville isn't the only eccentric 19th century inventor on the Rue Vivienne. Right across the street, there's a plaque dedicated to the amazing Gustave Trouvé, who lived from 1839 to 1902. This bachelor inventor used to joke that he was destined to invent and experiment because of his name, Gustave. The initial G in French is, of course, pronounced G. And Trouvé, his last name, Trouvé means to find in French, which means that every time Gustave Trouvé signed his name, J'ai Trouvé, he was saying, I found it, J'ai Trouvé, Eureka. In fact, Gustave even used Eureka as his trademark. Now, we have to forgive Trouvé because he invented a prototype for the electric dentist drill. I know it's hard to forgive that one. But he also invented the endoscope, which has saved countless lives by allowing doctors to look inside the human body. He also built an electric bird that could actually fly. He worked on an electric car. Take that, Elon Musk. 
He built electric motors for boats and invented a variety of different batteries. Trouvé made these inventions here in his workshop, a rented space on the Rue Vivienne. Let's continue north on the street. If we walk into the next block, we come to number 15 Rue Vivienne, a building which now stands where the eccentric writer Isidore Lucien Ducasse once lived. Ducasse published his famous poetic novel Les Chants de Maldoror in 1869 under the name Le Comte de Lautremont. Ducasse was tall, dark, and high-strung. He wrote, Melancholy and sadness are the start of doubt. Doubt is the beginning of despair. Despair is the cruel beginning of the differing degrees of wickedness. Ducasse was a night owl who mainlined coffee and drove his landlords crazy by composing his poetry in the wee hours. He used to write at the piano, hitting chords in time to his writings, rhythms, and moods. His book didn't get much publicity when he published it, and he died the following year in 1870, much too young. But in the early 20th century, the Surrealists rediscovered his book, and that's why Ducasse is remembered today. The last person we're going to visit on this street is from an earlier time. Today, right next door to Ducasse's former address, there's a rather dull 20th century building. The height is designed to blend in, the color is beige, but let me assure you the man who once lived at this address on Rue Vivienne was anything but beige. This is the former home of Jean-Baptiste Lemoine, Sieur de Bienville, the soldier, grifter, conman, colonizer, and gambler, founder of New Orleans. Yes, a touch of Louisiana lurks here on Rue Vivienne, somewhere beneath the 20th century building. Bienville was born in the year 1681 in my hometown of Montreal. He joined the French Navy at age 12, fought under the French flag from Hudson's Bay to the Caribbean, and at age 19 bluffed the English while standing in a small pirogue on the Mississippi River. Shortly after that, Bienville founded the city of New Orleans. The rare portraits of Bienville show him in frilly 18th century lace and fashionable formal armor. But unlike the court nobles of King Louis XV, Bienville was tattooed from the neck down. Several witnesses report that he was covered in formal native ink, marking different treaties and alliances, and he also had an enormous snake tattooed around his groin. He spoke French, but he also spoke several native languages in North, of North America because he spent most of his life negotiating with people in the, the Americas. La Nouvelle Orléans was named for the Duke of Orleans, who was regent of France when Bienville founded the city in 1718. But really, New Orleans, that we know and love as the great flawed city, was established on an already established trading site known as Bulbancha, which had been a native meeting place and market for generations. Bienville spent most of his adult life fighting, negotiating, and being passed over for promotions, possibly because he was a rowdy French-Canadian upstart rather than a proper French aristocrat. 
Of course, a lot of the proper French aristocrats sent from Paris by the king to govern Louisiana promptly died of yellow fever and other ailments. Bienville refused to die and was governor of Louisiana not once, not twice, but four times, generally by default. He finally retired at the age of 62, having spent exactly 50 years of his life working for France. He retired to a house here in the Rue Vivienne, a few doors down from the great National Library. He spent his old age correcting maps of the New World. After all, he had sailed, canoed, and marched through most of the eastern seaboard along the Mississippi and the Gulf. He knew what the maps should look like. Sometimes I like to imagine Bienville's ghost appearing on the street today. His tattoos would fit right in with the hipster shoppers of the Galerie Vivienne. Bienville might be surprised by some elements of the modern world, but I'm sure he could discuss them with the ghosts of Gustave Trouvé and Scott, Scott de Martinville. They'd probably also get a kick out of moody writer Ducasse. Like Bienville, Ducasse was born in the Americas. The world of invention, creation, commerce, and colonialism all spiral out of this rather plain-looking street. For now, I suggest we join the ghosts and wander back to the Galerie Vivienne. We can wander through the worn mosaic halls under the beautifully restored glass arcade and stop at the southern end of the passage to enjoy a glass of wine at the wine cave Le Grand Fille et Fils. If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to the podcast. And you can also become an improbable patron through patreon.com slash Lisa Passold. A thousand thanks and a tip of my beaver fur top hat to patrons who have sponsored me recently. Believe me, I am truly grateful. For details about today's walk and its characters, please visit my website, lisapassold.com. Thank you for listening and for stepping into history with me. Until next time, we go strolling into Paris together.